to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host Chris Desmond. This is a show where we try and figure out how to get better at doing the hard stuff that makes life exciting. Today I'm joined by Paul Nielsen who is a local Wellington businessman. Uh, Paul started out in business over 30 years ago back in 1987 uh, actually in the month of the share market crash which was a reasonably tough baptism into it, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, and he's weathered many ups and downs over the last 30 years in business, uh, especially running a New Zealand nationwide product installation business, which he's just recently sold. So he brings a lot of experience uh, around business, around life, and figuring things out as he goes. Uh, He's recently got a new book out called Paulisms, Gold Nuggets for Small Businesses, uh, which is a a pretty good read. Uh, Today we chat through a whole lot of stuff about business, a whole lot of stuff about life, and a whole lot of stuff about overcoming challenge in both of those areas. So thank you so much for taking the time to get uncomfortable with Paul and I today. Paul Nelson, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with me today. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for the opportunity. I always like to kick things off, Paul, with a little bit of background about yourself. So let's go right back. So where were you born? Where did you grow up? Grew up in, um, well, I was born in Christchurch and uh, my father picked up the, uh, the six kids and moved us all to Wellington back in the early 60s because he couldn't find work down in Christchurch and ended up living in, in Belmont, went, went to school through Lower Hutt and uh, yeah, it was eight of us in a little three bedroom house in Belmont and yeah, that's where it all started. Nice, what, what number were you? I was second to last, so not to spoil one like my youngest brother. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I did have three older sisters, so I was pretty henpecked, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah. Your parents would have been used to kids by then and maybe a little bit more open to the stuff that you got up to? Yeah, um, well, we're pretty, we quite often got left to doing what we want. And it was mm. quite interesting coming from a family of you know, six children that uh, my father was a painter and, yeah, just he worked seven days a week and there wasn't really that much much money around. And But we never knew any different, you know, we had a, had a great, mm. great upbringing. But and you look back now on the, well, if I look at my grandchildren growing up and the amount of uh, cuddles and things like that, they and their lifestyle and their, I'm not saying they're, they're, they're well off and you know, but yeah, life was a lot different back then. Mm. Uh, and I can remember the first TV, the first telephone, and you know, having a party line and yeah. internet and all those sorts of things. So I've been privileged that way. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. My dad's my dad's one of seven as well, and he's the oldest. But again, kind of same kind of thing, like you hear stories about the first TV and I think my generation as well is, I mean, we have similar stories to that as well in terms of we were, we were teenagers when the internet came into being. So mm-hmm. we're probably the last generation that remembers life before the internet. Yeah. And yeah, I, I know that like we've got a young son now as well. I mean, his upbringing is going to be a lot different to what my upbringing was like and what my dad's was and definitely what my granddad's oh, yeah. was so it's yeah it's, it's fascinating what were some of the formative experiences that yeah that you had that sort of shaped your your journey um, i think it was um because my father you know said he was a painter and self-employed and he never employed anyone he just worked, worked seven days a week trying to feed all those children and he took me off to uh, 
painting jobs you know, when I was about seven mm-hmm. on the weekends or school holidays and then they started paying me some money for, for helping them out and I think I just uh, learned that hard working trait that my father had it was hard working trait it was good and bad because I could see to my father that he was ne- never really going to get on because he only had a pair of hands you know mm. you can only earn a certain amount of money mm. with, with just using a, using a paintbrush and um, didn't, never scaled up but I think it was just that hard working working trait and then knowing that if you work hard you get you gives you options you know a bit of an income starts coming in so that's really what yeah that really sort of um, was uh, entrenched into, into a mindset from a young age into, yeah and like other than the kind of looking at the bad sides of, of hard work, other than the, the scalability from, for your dad's situations, did you, as a kid, pick out any other bad things about hard work? Well, it was things like going to the pub and the, you know, after work every day and things like that, mm-hmm. or coming home late and drinking and driving and yeah. or leaving the kids in the vehicle while his dad was in the pub and those sorts of things. And less time, you know, as a family. So they were, they were, But you never knew... That, that was your life, you know, that was my upbringing, oh, yeah, you, you know, know you just know any different, you know, so, yeah, you just, um, no bedtime stories and anything like that, or, you know, it's just, can't really complain. But. No, no, and I think that's, I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting thing as well, is that, I mean, we're, we're probably a lot more connected as a society now in some ways, so you kind of, you see yeah. what other people do, but, I mean, for the most part, you don't really know any different yeah. about what other stuff is going on with people as well like if, even if you know them well like there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of backstory there that you don't know yeah i think neighbors were uh, a lot more closer back in, in, in my upbringing years seem to know more of your neighbors mm. than uh, and spend more time with them particularly when you had a party line and people don't probably don't know what a party line is so you pick up the telephone and someone else is on the on the, on the telephone Probably um, one thing, probably one going to be that negative thing uh, was like we were brought up at a dinner table, we weren't allowed to speak, and it's just mm. completely different now. And that sort of held held us back a bit, being able to communicate with people. So yeah. in my uh, early twenties, I took myself off because I had a uh, speech impairment. I had up until twenty four years of age, took myself off to a speech uh, therapist, and she fixed that within about two weeks, and then took me off. To, couldn't speak in front of people, so I went and you know, did a bit of speech training and had my therapy to try and be able to stand up and talk to people. Yeah. So those sorts of things. And I think if you're really getting quite deep, that comes back right. Like if you look at children today at the dinner table or trying to encourage people to spend at schools, we're probably um, drifting a little bit here. But I remember at school one of the teachers used to do all he used to do is get you to read a paragraph from a book and there was and everyone that's all they did for social studies the whole class you know and also i'm a little bit dyslexic so that was a bit awkward because you come across words and i still like that now i can't can't spell them or whatever and ironically i've written a book but <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's i didn't pick up any spelling mistakes in it oh there was a few yeah <laughs> <laughs> So Paul, kind of moving on a little bit. So you were working as, a, or helping your dad out with some with some painting. You managing to sell or managing to save a little bit of money as well. And when did you kind of start thinking about, hey, I want to go and do some things for myself? Um, I was always in the back of my mind, and obviously I was, I was doing that you know, before I left school because before I left school I was actually painting whole houses and holidays and that and, that. and then I, I didn't know what to do and my mother wanted me to go to university and I didn't really want I didn't actually think I didn't think I was intelligent enough to go to university and I went and did went and applied for a job with the Ministry of Works doing what back in those days New Zealand Certificate of Civil Engineering it was sort of what like a half a degree 
So I worked for the Mystery Works for seven years, but I always wanted to do something myself, uh, for myself. And that was frustrating because you, you were stymied because you could only go a certain uh, uh, speed. And, and mm. that. But it was a great it was a great learning environment. You know, the government was uh, back back then. You know, was, was spending a lot of money on these places like the railways and Ministry of Works and post office and that training thousands of people across New Zealand. Perhaps they should think about that again. Yeah, and then it got to the stage of. I got approached by my, my wife's at the time, or my wife, um, father about going working in his woodworking factory, you know. I wanted a bit of a change, so I went right back on the, on the factory floor, right back from the beginning, which I hated, you know, working, it was quite dangerous working woodworking. But I was sort of like a training manager, and it got to a stage where um, they wanted to get out, my wife's parents wanted to get out, and I was going to take it over, but I knew I had enough business sense, the numbers didn't stack up, so... I just went out and set up business installing, selling and installing home improvement products, mm. skylights and conservatories and doors and windows. And, and unfortunately, that was October 1987. That's when the uh, share market crash happened. I want to pick apart a couple of those those things. So you were reasonably well established at the, at the Ministry of Works and then you have taken what probably a lot of people perceive as a, a step backwards to go back out onto the onto the factory floor. Yeah. Do you remember the thought process at the time around kind of why you did that? I was just, uh, I was just really, um, I, I could see I could better myself and there was new challenges and new things to learn and heading for a role of sort of in management and okay. I wanted to get into that. And yeah, I was probably a little bit frustrated with the, uh, the government situation of, of holding you back and, and the amount of waste yeah. and things like that. And yeah, it was just that challenge and... I could see a future there, mm. and I learned a lot in four years there. But it came to a stage where again I had to move yeah. on. So this is kind of hey, I'm going to go backwards a little bit to go forwards. Sure. That I, I'll sort of reverse and, and go around this way rather than kind of keep pushing forward on this current path. And then when you went out and, and set up for yourself, was there any thought of actually I want to go and get another job from this, or it was always hey this is I, I want to do something for myself. I do some of myself, but I was, I was terrified, and I think a lot of people going out becoming self-employed are terrified. At that stage, you know, I had a nice house in the country. You know, we had our first child; it was only probably six months old. It wasn't really that well leveraged compared to some some people today. So I went along, tried to, and I got a lease on a building, started to build, and but it's that fear eventually. What what happens quite often when you want to go out on your own? You want to have people to join you and I started talking mm. to other people about and it's so I hear it all the time people say oh I'm going to get a partner to come in with me and I said what the fuck do you want a partner for you know? <laughs> and I went through that and I think the biggest decision in being self-employed is just jumping across what I call jumping across the crack mm. and just just do it you know and uh, just get on with it and uh, which I did and yeah so I got a lease and then she market crashed but then it took a couple of years for um, things to really start hurting in Wellington but I couldn't get any I set this business up and I wanted to borrow some money against the house in those days yeah back then it was quite hard to get and I took seven banks before I actually got some money to, to fund the business I didn't really have a clue what I was doing anyway Interesting. That business that you set up to start with didn't it didn't last. No, it didn't last. I hung on for five years. And I should. Have, funny enough, I've had businesses since which I should have hung on too long as well. You know, sort of secondary businesses. And I, I just. But you know, there you are. You know, you got yourself. You, you committed yourself. You're more financially committed. You know, you got responsibility leases, and you just think this is going to happen. But back then, when I started, like I had obviously had an accountant, and I. But I was. 
doing everything myself. And I, mm. and I go out and have a beer with a mate, and he said, oh, yeah, I've got new accountings. He said, well, every month we get, tell us how much. So I go off to the, to the accountant and say, hey, uh, how come this guy's getting this and I'm not getting this thing? He said, oh, don't worry about it, you know. So all those years, you know, all the, so we didn't know where we were at. You know, and we're just trying to trying to run on cash flow, which is fairly similar to a lot of businesses, not particularly in New Zealand, like now in the construction industry, as like that. You know, they can't they can't afford their cash flow to, to stop. So then you start going buying business, you know, and just but one day it has to stop because you run out of cash and you just and yeah, they end up failing five mm. years later. Yeah. yeah, did that hurt? Oh, it hurt. You know, when you have to sell your house and then move mm. into a, taking well, another child had come along in that time and move into a house which stuck a cat pee and coming from the house and nice you know, in the country as a swimming pool blah 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 and selling cars and things like that and people coming knocking on your wife's door or our door when, when you're when you're out and saying to your wife hey we, your husband owes us some money when's he going to pay but the good thing about it, i didn't really hurt anyone i didn't go bankrupt at all i did mm-hmm. came to some arrangements with with some people and you i just had to fight my way out of it did that affect your confidence at all Actually, no, it didn't really affect my confidence. Uh, just I was at a very low state, mm. but my confidence about being able to my business skills, which were growing, and then I learned a lot. And you know, and uh, that was my university. No, not my confidence, but I was just down in other ways. Yeah, yeah. I was just that whole thing when the business is failing and you got these people chasing for money, and you're just struggling paying yourself. And yeah, and I mean, you mentioned that that was your your university. So definitely and i think i mean probably looking back on it you learned more lessons then than if that business had gone well and if the market hadn't crashed at the time yeah and look i, I probably don't put it down to necessarily um the share market crash or the share market crash to put in perspective people talk about the gfc and you know mm. all these uh, asian flu crisis or whatever but back then, I remember 1990, looking out from a hotel room in Auckland and not seeing one crane on the horizon. So it was a lot worse, you know, than anything I experienced. It would be second to the Great Depression. So your yeah, times are pretty bad, but yeah, I've sort of lost my thought there. But Your confidence and your, and your skills have been building over that time. So the next decision was to start another, start another business? Well, it came out of the blue because... At that same time, you know, I was running that business. We were importing some products, and you know, like any entrepreneur, you're trying to find other opportunities. And I've been mm. traveling and met some people, and I got a call out of the blue one day from a guy called Malcolm Pews and said, "Hey, I've seen this product in, in, in Australia, a franchising seminars. Product was a Skylight. I understand you do Skylights. You know, I'm looking for someone to run it." He said, "I got the looks like I might be able to get the New Zealand rights to it." It sounds so boring to me, and I gave my name to someone who, who could run it up. And he said, look, I'll send you a brochure. Now, remember, this is before um, the internet and things mm. like that, so uh, email. Um, so he sent it to me, and I thought, oh, this is pretty good. It looks pretty good. So I hopped on a plane to, to Australia, and so that was July 1992. Um, so we kicked, kicked the new business off in December 3rd that same year. So we managed to procure the rights to New Zealand. But we bought a, a, a flawed franchise system. Um, so, yeah, we sort of had to change a few things there to get it, get it uh, working okay. Mm. So you went, into, you went into partnership with Malcolm? Yeah, Malcolm and his um, 
and as part of the build, they, they made a lot of money prior to the share market crash and the construction industry came out of very well because they always ran within their means, you know, very smart business people and they were looking for opportunity. Um, yeah, so I hopped into bed with uh, two other guys I never met before, closed the other business down and we're away into a new opportunity. It was just like a honeymoon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was quite a different feel going, coming into this new business. Well, it was, you know, just um, the excitement of bringing a new concept. I know a skylight might sound boring to some people, but here we had a, a revolutionary product that was taking Australia by storm and actually changed the whole net, net daylight, natural daylighting um, sphere, you know, like whether it be architecture or existing homes. Mm. It just changed the whole thing. So here we had, had, I had an opportunity to take on or set something up in New Zealand. And what I had to set up was a, a licensed installation uh, network so as I say, we bought a flawed franchise. We started to try to get a franchise or licensee. Why we, I use the word franchisee and licensee. A franchisee is probably more like the McDonald's model. Mm. Licensees, you've got less liability and probably some more flexibility. And we couldn't get anyone. Um, but we carried on. We, and all we basically got was a box of products or a container, 20-foot container products from, from Australia. And you're away. So... so took the eyes out of what they were doing and we, we kicked this thing off and we had people queuing up the door come to look at this product. And it was just a little small dome with a tube bringing light into the into the room and uh, we're away and it's just, we went from there, but we couldn't get anyone to install the product. So we had all these leads, like a hundred leads. So I had to go out and quote and we had some guy lined up to, to install it um, or become a licensee. So we were meant to meet him at a job one day in Upper Hutt, and uh, he didn't turn up. So I borrowed some tools off the customer. This is so unprofessional. <laughs> and worked out how to install it myself. So now I was, uh, you know, I was the technical guy, I was the marketing guy, I was you know, just um, training people up on installations and doing everything. And the good thing about what Malcolm, the skills Malcolm brought to the table was that, that fiscal uh, responsibility, you know, like back in those days, he was using a thing called a cash book. You know, he was in his room every day using his cash book, getting a balance every day. And he, he said to me, Paul, you got to walk around with um, bank statements in your head. You've got to know what's in your bank account. And I learned a lot from uh, from that over the next three years. Mm. And so, I mean, this, ex- this experience kind of sounds like you're faced with a problem and then you just have to figure out how to, how to get through it, like with your... You do not showing well, up. And yeah, if you look at the if you look at the uh, equation, you know, didn't have any money. Mm. You know, got a new opportunity. I can't go backwards. You know, just you know, I just got to go forward. So I just get into it. Here's an opportunity. So the next three years, I spent four months a year away from home setting this thing up. And the first year, I set up twenty five installs around the country. And within sort of seven months, we we're doing national TV advertising and set up an office in, in Auckland, doing zillion home shows all around New Zealand. And it, the growth was just, it was just like a honeymoon. It was just way, way mm-hmm. went. And the profitability went about three months. It was just, um, it was very unusual, but the, the opportunity was there. But uh, so I had to go out and, and it was with no cell phone and as I say, no internet. Yeah. email or whatever and to yeah, find people train them teach them in their market how to sell and install and yeah 
And with, with that rapid growth, did that bring problems? Um, well, it did bring problems in that uh, there was no assistance with this franchise we supposedly bought from, from Australia. And in March 1993, I went to a seminar in Lower Hutt at the golf course. There was a guy called Winston Marsh, and he was talking about that book there that's in front of you there, Chris. Mm. A book called the, it was called The E-Myth back then, a book called The E-Myth Revisited and by Michael Gerber and it was just like a light bulb just turned on you know it was all about systemizing everything you do in the business so I remember dictating the in-home selling system uh, from Taupo when I was driving between Taupo and Hamilton an hour and a quarter or whatever and that was a whole the system of how when someone goes into into a home to sell a solar tube what they do and how to close it and that system when I left 25 years later it was still the same system 80% of it and also it got adapt adapted by other people around like particularly in America they took on our system and they took it to a higher level but basically as a whole principle is that for any business you stick a key in the, in the door to open, open it up and you write a system so when you close the door and lock it everything's systemized so then you can get what you need to do is get people to follow that system mm. and when the, when when the, you know, I was monitoring closure rates, and this would even be 25 years after I perfect or developed the system, I knew if their closure rates, these guys' closure rates were low, they, would, they wouldn't be following the system. And get them following the system, the closure rates went up. Interesting, interesting. <clears throat> so after that initial period of, of growth, um, Obviously, that would have tapered off at at some point. Yeah, um, it did taper off, and that you know, being a, a smaller country, and it's probably only about three million back then, mm. um, you could go nationwide pretty quick. You know, we had our network set up, but I knew, and back then I was like a sponge reading books and things like that. And I I came across a thing called Wasm's product life cycle, and it basically said that as your product matures, more competition. You know, it's this belt curve, and people more competition would come in and then they'll, some will stay, some will go and your prices could potentially go down, blah, blah, blah. So I knew that that there was a finite there that, and I was starting to find that. You know, mm. After a couple of years, it was getting more expensive to generate a lead. And I knew in my mind that, hey, we can go out there and get more leads, but it's gonna cost us a lot more money, so why do it, you know? It's just gonna go potentially, um, Sorry about that. That's just it's, uh, that's all right. We need, <laughs> we need to edit that out. That's Someone the window windows. <laughs> um, so I started to go into other sales channels. Yeah. So I went into volume uh, builder market, you know, like sort of Jenny Holmes type type um, sales channel. Then we started to do things like talk to housing New Zealand because then we started to bring other products in. You know, brought mm. in bigger products, ventilation. Started to talk to housing New Zealand, and that's where I got into a. Sorry about that, folks. We're getting our windows clean. I live in an apartment, and that's the uh, the trolley, <laughs> the pulley going past because it's quite windy here in Wellington. Um, so uh, I started getting into a little bit of conflict with with Malcolm, particularly, and that he said, "Look, just do what you're doing before. Don't worry about going to these other things. We'll be right." And I knew that we had to keep on moving, and you know, business goes either goes up or goes down. It can't it can't go sideways. You know, otherwise, you fail. Yeah. I think that's like with life as well. Oh, it is, yeah. You know. if, you stay, oh, I, if, I, if you stay still, you, st you start going backwards. Yeah, and I'm still reading self-help books and things like that at my, mm. my mature age. Um, and uh, so I started moving in. 
So the conflict, and you know, look, Malcolm, my great friend, say I'll talk about Malcolm because he was the main guy, you know, and uh, but he, he wasn't really handling the day to day. He always worried about the numbers. And that's fine. He's the governor, you know, and um, he said, "Well, why don't you just buy us out?" So it was up to three years. I said, "Like, okay, I'll, I'll buy you out." So, so a few months later, first yeah. of January, nineteen ninety six, I owned a hundred percent. Is that and, an easy decision for you? Uh, it was an easy decision because I knew the business, you know, backwards. I could see the opportunity, and um, yeah, yeah, I just didn't want that conflict, and I just uh, need need mm-hmm. to keep moving, and the business had to keep on and going. So, so there I was by myself, and yeah, but there was no, there was no problem with confidence or anything like that. I just mm-hmm. I knew I just could see the opportunity. Yeah, and so you ran the you ran the business for twenty five years. Yeah. Yeah. A bit longer. Yeah. What other what other challenges came up for you in, in that time? Like, I mean, the well, it's quite a few. Um, um, there's several things. Like one is um, communicating or getting people to come on the ride with you or can see the vision that you you see. Like we had a licensee network, and even when I left um, eighteen months ago, there was still one guy there from nineteen ninety three, but they're. Ha- you know, the or it's hard to change people after being in a business for so long. So when you made changes, people couldn't see it. The other other thing was, um, you know, we we also go into like commercial market where we were doing jobs and um, where like you know, Bruce Arrow drop fell over. Um, we were getting hit by companies, and it just it just repeats itself. These big construction companies fall over, so you might get a bad deal, hundred grand or whatever. Mm. And we knew that we just had a bit of a or minimise the actual hit because it's going to happen. It was it was a problem, and then business got more complicated as far as compliance and health and safety, and it became a, a major issue. Particularly you know, when you think I had probably hundred jobs a day going on uh, around New Zealand uh, with people on roofs, mm-hmm. putting stolen product products on roofs, um, so there's a real liability there, and so the health and safety became a big issue, and then. And the other thing was uh, people management, and I know a lot of millennials <laughs> listen to this, and I've got like, some fantastic people. But the challenges became a lot harder. It's just that from an owner making sure you know to change with the with the change and, and the type mm. of person that that was working for you. Yeah. And what were like what were some of the most helpful things for you in terms of uh, managing and mitigating all of those challenges that you faced? Um, trying to uh, develop that culture that people wanted to work in the business, you know, um, and and a lot of um, teachings, teaching people because I always thought that a, um, that an employee wasn't an employee, but they were really like a a business person, just about to happen in some way. So I'd like pull people into meetings just to help develop their business skills and give them little tasks and things like that just to try and develop business people you know develop um, teach anyone in the business but business skills mm. and I have had emails 15 years after people have left and they said Paul I didn't realise at the time what you actually taught me at the time they, they probably thought I was a bit of a prick and I had a bit of a <laughs> reputation of being hard but fair but uh, yeah but it also backfired on me a little bit towards the end and that uh, 
trying to challenge people, see what levels they'll go at. Yeah. And I'm in one particular situation. I said, hey, look, I'm just going to uh, give you a little exercise. Um, there's an error in this, uh, in, in this PR uh, paper. Just see if you can pick it up, you know. So the next minute they're running off to their manager saying I'm bullying them. And, but what I was trying to do is just train them on how to... Because yeah. I remember a long time ago, when I was back in the Ministry of Works, this engineer said to me, Paul, if you want to be a good engineer, you've got to be detailed. Mm. And I, I, I developed that, that uh, ability to, or that detail. Um, yeah. Yeah. Was it a, an error that they'd made? No. no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and what it was was it was an arrow going so instead of a yeah. timeline going yeah. from say two two thousand sixteen to seventeen with an arrow hitting naturally that way, it was yeah. going the other way. Okay. Yeah. And all the point so so if you look at that, here you are this engineer back in nineteen eighty saying to me, Paul and he and he, mm. he pointed to a, a picture on the wall, he said detail, you know, you got that picture on the wall. And it and I learned that, and so all I was trying to do as part of you know, learning about detail. And when I, when, where, how does it apply? I used to be able to run through a data list or a credit mm. list, and just I could see things in a in a heartbeat. Yeah. By developing that 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 skill of detail and mm. looking for patterns that are, you, you get a feel for it. You yeah. Know, you can sense things. Yeah, and kind of one one thing that I think about in terms of managing a team as well as that like I listened to a few podcasts obviously and one thing that I heard is that as a as a business owner or as a manager you work for the people that you employ that they work for you but you also work for the, for oh. them in terms of trying to trying to develop them and trying to to lift them up and and help them get better as as employees but also get better as people as well Oh yeah, and uh, it used to give me a lot of joy watching people grow. You know, mm. whether the kid who couldn't get a job, who was Asperger's, and put him in the warehouse, and he said he couldn't answer telephones when he started, and to being able to have confidence to, to answer the telephone and become a real team player. And then this, been driving around with him and telling me a story about the bullying that went on with his, yeah, you know, and that, but it was, it was nice to help people mm. yeah. yeah and one thing that I'm interested in as well is that kind of and, and obviously you didn't quite get it right with that story you told me before but gauging the level of challenge that you gave to people as well mm. because obviously you want to give them slightly harder things every time to keep them moving forward yeah like what did you what did you look for in people when you were giving them hard stuff to do um initiative and being also help uh, be able to handle under pressure and some people mm. just um, have you heard of the uh, term uh, IQ freeze IQ freeze no I haven't actually. IQ freeze is like where you put yourself under so much pressure you just lose and you can't handle it you can't okay. think clearly yeah, you know? yeah it's kind of like and an I was, overwhelmed I was, I, was, I was trying to do that but I did see that uh, quite a few times and you just see um, yeah, how people can handle that pressure but also pressure you you um, you develop being able to handle pressure mm. And I remember when we had our 25th anniversary, a guy stood up, Michael Cullen, worked for me just about 20 years. And he read, he said, one day I went along to Paul and I asked him what I do. And Paul said, mate, that's what I pay you for. Fuck off and go and sort out yourself. <laughs> so, yeah, and you've got to do those things. So, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And like one way that I kind of think about that is that, again, it's a bit of a bell curve as well as a, in terms of pressure that people get under is yeah. that there's a point that they start responding really well and then the more pressure goes on, then that that performance starts to suffer and you get to that IQ freeze point and it's kind of finding that balance of giving them enough pressure and enough uh, challenge that you don't crash yeah. them right down the other side. Yeah, and also you've got to be able to, for them to know that you there's support there mm. and, and you know, come back to us. And, uh, and I always reckon that I, was, oh, I always try to get people time frames or set their own time frames when they're going to complete tasks and things like that. And I always set them, uh, it's always a good idea to come back if you're not going to achieve it before the date that it needs to be achieved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rather than three hours and say, mate, I'm not going to yeah. make this. Um, no, that is, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate that as a manager as well. Um, Paul, why did you decide to, to step away from it? Well, I've been at a long time and um, I knew there had to be a, uh, a time to, to move on. And I had been approached a few times for people to buy the business. I went through due diligence a couple of times and the business wasn't ready to sell. And I look at those challenges, and which I mentioned, things like compliance and health and safety, the business was changing, even marketing was changing. You know, I created a generic brand for a product in New Zealand, but I probably wouldn't have any clue now how to create a generic brand with all the different marketing, like, mm. like social media, etc. And um, so how, how so instant it is. And um, so things were, were getting to me and then um, I knew could see the maturity in the market for some of our, our, our products. And yeah, so I started to, I probably thought about it for about 10 years before it actually sold. And so I got the business ready to go. And But also I was looking over my shoulder what was happening in the world. At that time we had the guy Kim from North Korea firing, firing missiles across Japan. And I don't want to be negative pessimistic, but hey, if something major happens, like a, someone drops a nuclear bomb, this, this world's going to change overnight. Mm. And so, yeah, getting up to, you know, to, towards retirement age had to be a time. So got ready to sell, and eventually the right person came along and bought it. Nice. And did you have a picture in your mind of what you wanted to do next? Not at all, other than um, having a passive in, income for the rest of my life. Um, there was there was seven goals many years ago. That check came in, and yeah, and it's sort of um, having worked for if you want, my wife will tell you seventy hours a week for thirty years, and now I just don't know how I have enough time. But you know, <laughs> yeah, run the book and do a bit of yeah, you know, a bit of involvement. And so what are you? Uh, what what keeps you out of trouble at the moment? Um, well, you notice my mountain bike in the box just mm-hmm. there. I'm uh, going to be uh, mountain biking the um, old Ghost Road. Nice. Ten days time. So I've been doing quite a bit of mountain biking, other exercise walking, do a little bit of mentoring, mentoring for, for some businesses. Obviously, I, I wrote that book. Mm, um, yeah. and, tell, and me, tell me about the book. Like, was that a, something you decided before you sold the business? Did yeah, I did. I had started it three years ago. Wow. That was, that was, that was faster. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was, I had started three years ago. How that came about, I had these sayings in, in home tech. Uh, like life's a passing parade and time and motion and every adversity is a simple opportunity mm. but it's the fair flock together 
So one day my staff took a piss out of me and put all these acronyms up on the up on the whiteboard and people had to guess what Paul's sayings were. Yeah. So that developed into training little training modules. And I started to write this three years ago, then put it on hold and then after the business sold picked it up again and yeah, wrote this book. So mm. it's so it's it's all about it's called Paulism, it's just about it's my real life business experiences. So it's got fifty five Paulisms. Everyone has to have a Everyone, every chapter, all those Paulisms has a, a real life experience. So it's not from theory; it's just from mm. experience. Yeah, and there's some because I started, I started to see when I started to mentor some some businesses or small business owners that the mistakes mistakes they were making, mistakes I made twenty five thirty years ago, like no, like lack of getting a profit or loss at the end of the month, things like that. Yeah, and. Why do you think over time that those mistakes keep getting repeated by people? Must it might have to do with the entrepreneurial spirit, or people just want getting into business and think it's a good idea, and they think mm. they got the skills, and hey, I want to get into it, and we quite often don't think of the consequences of how we're going to do it. We just do it. Yeah, yeah. and they just they get too busy, and they may get too cocky, or bad advice, or they don't want to listen to anyone else. They're just on their business journey, and away they go. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I mean there's there's positives for that as well as as well as negatives. That sometimes if you sit around too long, it's like standing at the edge of the diving board. That yeah, that you're not going to go. That if you're the if you're the right person, then if you if you go, most of the time you'll be able to figure it out along the way. Um, and the oh, ones that can't don't. That's a good point because some you hear people say, "Hey, I'm going to get into business one day." do this or I'm going to run a marathon one day or whatever and something they just don't do it or when the time's right or I'm going to employ someone when I find the person that's 100% we're never going to find that and I chapter in my book is 80% is good enough mm. you know just when is a good time to go and do anything just got to do it yeah yeah now's the time yeah definitely and one one thing that obviously kind of with the theme of the podcast one of the the Paulisms that uh, I wanted to talk to you about is that uh, adversity breeds opportunity. Can you elaborate on on that a little bit from your perspective? Um, yeah, yeah. Adversity does create opportunity and also creates experience. You know that, and I would never be as have achieved and sold this business, um, my business, if I hadn't gone through the adversity of having a failed company and going through that really bad. Uh, recession back there in the late late eighties, early nineties, and yeah, it just builds character and builds strength, to, and uh, it builds experience, and it just creates opportunities to, and all and little things. I'm just trying to think of my mind. will come to me shortly, but even things like complaints in the business, I saw as an opportunity. Mm. We used to try and encourage complaints in some way, so we can actually so we hear about them and we can go and cause quite often we turn a a person wasn't very happy into an advocate of ours, you know, by just sorting the problem out. And we always used to do that. So, yeah, so any adversity, there is going to be a, uh, a silver lining there somewhere. Mm, yeah, and I think if you can keep, a, keep that in mind in the moment that you're going through that adversity, it's, mm. it's ridiculously valuable because a lot of people do get, get bogged down. Now, other than the... Uh, all of the things that you learnt in the book um, that probably would have been ideal to apply right at the start of your business journey. Is there, looking back, is there anything else that you'd change 
that or that you'd do different if you were if you were starting over again? Yeah, first of all, I put in good uh, financial control right from the start, mm. which I, and so that would be um, uh, one of the first things I'd do. Make sure I got a profit and loss, and I knew exactly where I was. You know, I know what the numbers were. And it's a lot easier now with you know things like zero accounting um, or zero software. Um, the other thing, I wouldn't have got into things stupid things that I shouldn't have got into. You know, the entrepreneur walks down the street and, like me and sees a hundred opportunities in a hundred mm. meters. And those are things that come along, yeah, I'll get into that. And, and then it's easy to get into something very hard to get out of it. And it's just things I shouldn't have got into. And then when I, I learned about the 80-20 rule, which I think is one of the most powerful things for any business, you know, or in life, you know, and people don't don't necessarily understand that. And when I started to drill down, even in the later years in our business, we looked at our sales channels and our products and our customers. And we could see that there's particular customers, 20% of some of some of our customers were taking all 80% of our time. And one particular customer, which was a nationwide customer, um, we realized that they were one of those 20% that were taking 80% of the time, we just weren't making, up, making any money on having all these people working on that. On that particular client, low margin, it's just it's just a mess. And they weren't very happy when we severed. We were the only company they ever severed them as a supplier, and they didn't like that at all. But we knew how to do it, and it all came down to the 80-20 rule, and also really messed them with accounting. So when we had to, we went from not having an in-house account to having two, you know, when I sold the business, and drilling down, seeing those sales channels exactly where we are um, losing or making money. And I know there's one particular channel we were probably losing money in another 10 years, but because our business was going so well, it was kind of sucked up into mm-hmm. it and set. So the 80-20 rule, um, that focus, that focus of not um, deviating, you know, seeing your, seeing, your, seeing your vision, seeing your plan and your goal, where you're going, and just um, setting plans um, to how to get there. Um, you know, so, and also, um, I probably wouldn't do anything, anything different, but I'm probably talking more about <laughs> my thoughts on some people starting out. But mm. the whole thing about systemizing your business is very important, and getting getting into a situation where hey, every day, be in a position where your business perhaps could could be sold. You know, getting in, so if something did come along, it's ready to go. Mm. Cool. Um, yeah, probably uh, just summarizing a little bit, rather than the accounting things like that. Some of that deviation of things we got into, we shouldn't have done it. You know, if you got a good business going, so some of that up is to really specialise rather than diversify. Mm. Be good at what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Paul, I had a couple of questions that I ask everyone towards the end of the conversation. Uh, the first is, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did, and why was that uncomfortable for you? Well, it was probably yesterday, being on the mountain bike, going down a hill. Um, most difficult thing. Um, I can, I can't think of recent ones, but I know mm. many over thirty years. Yeah, do you want to give me an example? Oh, getting too close to an employee and then having to sever him. I mean, that's mm-hmm. in the book called the Rhodesian Factor. Um, I'm not going to go into that. You might have to buy the book. Um, but you know. Getting crossing the line from employer employee relationship and yeah. having because the business was was bleeding at the time having to sever someone 
and that 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 whole fretting about having to sever this guy that you went drinking with or you know it's just it, that was it was pretty bad or it's pro- most of the ones are all mainly come around people mm. you know and, and most of the time it's about laying people off which yeah. sometimes you've got to yeah yeah you got to take the emotion out of it what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do from here on from yeah from here on well than uh, riding the old ghost road on a mountain bike in 10 days time um Yeah, I've been through a fair bit, and I've got to be a little bit more conservative at uh, my mature age. But um, I'd like to do a few more travel adventure things, travel like walk the Inca Trail or more mountain bike rides mm. somewhere. Or yeah, it's probably more about adventure. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, not so much about businesses. Yeah, um, yeah, I want to help small businesses and things like that, but. Uh, yeah, it's got to be a little bit conservative about things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Paul, uh, I mean, we, we've talked through a few of them already, but do you have any other strategies that you use when you're approaching uncomfortable situations? Um, yeah, because I think about that experience and then, you know, just the, the time will, will pass. Mm. You know, when you're in uncomfortable or you're in a serious adversity, you know that things will, will, will pass. And where, where it helped me, I actually did karate for 16 years and competed. Mm. And I used to say when I, it was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life because you got one guy on the other side and you. There's no mm. team, it's not team sport, you know. So you got to fight that guy. And I always just tell my mind that I'm in control. And I'll get through it. Mm. So just tell your mind I'm in control. Slow down. Yeah. Take a deep breath. You're in control. And yeah. then go. Yeah, and I think that's that's a really powerful one and stops you hitting that IQ freeze yeah, uh, point as well um, Paul I've got, got a couple of other quick questions sure. for you but I just want to say thank you so much for spending some time with me today and, and chatting through some of your experiences um, enjoy the opportunity Great. if people are interested in grabbing a copy, copy of your book or finding out more about you or working with you where where's the best place for them to do that um, probably um, go to uh, paulnielsen.co.nz that's uh, where the book can be purchased tells tells uh, people a little bit about myself um, and it's got my contact details there yeah. cool. um, but just with that book you know it wasn't it's not about the money because I've actually set up a charitable uh, fund mm. and I've just raised some money. I don't know if you know Billy uh, Graham from the company. Well, Billy probably doesn't know this yet. Uh, he runs that boxing gym yep. up, up in yep. Nai for getting kids off the street. I went and saw him because Billy taught me for a little while uh, at school. And uh, I see, he said, look, I've got kids whose parents can't pay $2.50 a week for their kids mm. to be off the street. So anyway, I said, look, how about we try and raise $2,000 and get 10 of them off, off the street mm. for a year. So that's what we managed to do through selling the book. Cool. So I have to pop and give them the check. So yeah, that's, that, that's, that's the, so the book was written not about money for myself, mm. it's just to give back to small business and, and now to help a few. Uh, sort of focused on that um, underprivileged youth or more yeah. yeah awesome uh that makes it even more appealing i think <laughs> and uh yeah very good book i sat down and did your success work one of your success worksheets last night actually i was like i better put something together for the next quarter and what i'm planning and woke up this morning and i was like actually i need to go back and do a bit more on that so yeah thank you for oh. thank you for that tool um final question for you do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week 
I challenge Sorrell's question. Do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? Um, challenge would be uh, you're just going to do something out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. whether it be in business or personal life, you know. And I, um, you know, we've mentioned a little bit about this before, but it's like, uh, like when I was going to Australia quite a bit, there's a, I go mountain biking and there's a, an area downhill, it's got all these rocks, and I just hate it. Mm-hmm. But I, I go down there on a mountain bike anyway. I know I can fall off and hurt my neck or whatever. But I just do it because it just I'm in that fear. I've got that fear of failing there. But mm. I carry on. So just go and do something that's going to take you right out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah, and it just it just helps you. And going back, you know, about that pressure thing and how you handle adversity, those sort of things help you in business. Mm. You know, it's like they karate. I used to hate it sometimes when you had to fighting and things like that. But it just made you stronger mentally, and just go and walk on. I'm looking at Mount Victoria here. Just go and walk up. You know, not a bad day out there. Just go and go out and breathe the fresh air, and go and do, go and challenge yourself. Go mm. to your comfort zone. Yeah, Paul Nielsen, thanks so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. I did for a while then. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it, team. I hope you enjoyed that one. If you're in small business, medium-sized business, especially here in New Zealand, I'd really encourage you to grab a copy of Paul's book. I'll put a link in the notes for the the episode. It's a good read. It gives you a whole lot of things that you should be thinking about. I sat down and read it and immediately afterwards sat down and did a worksheet for the next 90 days of, of what I'm trying to do. So I'll keep you up to date about how I stick to that stuff. One thing in the spirit of last week's podcast all about help, I do some paid coaching with people all around tackling challenges, strategically identifying challenges to take on, implementation, reducing overwhelm and building resilience and mental fitness. What I'd like to do in December and January is I want to offer people uh, a free coaching session just in terms of kind of trying to set things up for 2020. So if that's something that you might be interested in doing a, a session with me, you can flick me an email, chris at chrisdesmond.nz. That's chris at chrisdesmond.nz. Would love to help you. And in turn, that helps me out as well. Uh, because it's always nice to be helpful. Thank you, Jailan, for your awesome editing skills. Thank you to my brother, Jeremy Desmond, for the amazing theme music. And thank you, as always, for you guys taking the time to have a listen today. 